listening to Carnivore Conversations, a podcast exploring the benefits of keto, carnivore, intermittent feasting, and other lifestyle hacks. Each week, we'll be interviewing a special guest from the keto carnivore community and so much more. This is your host, board-certified and practicing physician, Dr. Robert Kiltz. Hello, my friend. How are you? Aloha. How are you doing? Excellent. Aloha to you. How is Hawaii doing? Amazing, as always. A little rainy yeah. day, but a rainy it's, day here is like you know, an hour of rain and then it's sunny. <laughs> how beautiful and wonderful, right? It's so great yeah. for uh, so many people to get that chance. Not many of us get that chance to spend the time out there. Well, yeah. Very blessed, very blessed. I guess no matter where you're in this world, uh, there's some blessings to be had, and uh, but to be in Hawaii is great. Okay. So, well, welcome and thank you for joining me uh, tonight. And let's see, what time is it out there? Uh, 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Well, we've got a great day. I'm in upstate New York. It's been beautiful. And uh, we're just going to share your thoughts and ideas of health and wellness and nutrition. And yeah. uh, I just started recording, and maybe you can just uh, share with our listeners and watchers a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, and how did you get to this crazy place of keto and carnivore? Yeah, um, you know, the, we've got an interesting journey. My wife, Maria, uh, started about 23 years ago or something with her, with her own health. She had some uh, PCOS and some different issues that she was trying to find a solution for. Uh, went to nutrition. Uh, in, in college, he had studied nutrition and same kind of food pyramid, healthy whole grains kind of stuff. And she's like, I tried that. It's not working. And she went down this path of just learning everything she could from every study and book she could get her hands on. And in the process, implemented it on herself and reversed her PCOS, reversed a lot of her IBS and acid reflux and health issues. Um, myself, I was an electrical engineer at the time. Uh, and you know, I didn't have a pressing health need at the time. Um, and so it took me about, I don't know, five years after her to come around and start, you know, eating this way just because of how it made me feel. And, you know, so that's like 16 years ago or something like that. Um, and so, uh, I've been in this space, you know, I've been eating this way for 16 years, been studying seriously about it for the last, you know, 10 or 12 years. Uh, actually left engineering just to do this full time and study biology and nutrition. And, and so tell us a little bit about your journey in health issues, if you would be willing to share that with people and how yeah, it's, it's um, helped. Yep. Uh, so being uh, keto for 16, 17 years and, and, and my version of keto, I, I was never one that liked like you know, the almond flour desserts or the, you know, lots of big salads or anything. I was always a meat guy, right? I'm always pretty heavy, heavy on animal proteins. Even in those early keto days, you know, my, my non animal protein, you know, foods, but you know, plant foods would be like cat, you know, sugar-free ketchup on my burger, or some, maybe some caramelized onions on my burger and that kind of thing. Uh, and so I was pretty clean diets and felt really good. And, then about nine years ago, I started having this pain in our, my lower back. Wow. Right around the time we built our new house, which is right in the middle of this old woods, you know, that was had a lot of ticks. And I was out there a lot while we were building it. 
And uh, because I was keto and because I had my diet in such good shape, I think it allowed me to let it go longer than I should have. Mm -hmm. um, I managed the pain for so long. Uh, and about five years ago, I finally went in and, and got tested for Lyme with a proper test. And it said I have Lyme disease. Um, and then that, I believe, led to, well, at that point, I went more strict carnivore, like none of the plants, none of the onions, and, you know, just, just the animal proteins. And that did help my pain, uh, especially my joint pain. It helped reduce it quite a bit, even more from keto. Uh, you know, keto was uh, controlling it quite a bit to begin with, but going completely carnivore helped it even more. Um, and I think what's happened is uh, I've had chronic inflammatory response due to the, mm -hmm. the Lyme that has co continued and uh, that has triggered uh, ankylosing spondylitis. You know, the immune system, when it's like going crazy and won't shut off, eventually it starts to attack healthy cells and that's an autoimmune uh, reaction. And, and uh, so I've got like calcification in my uh, vertebrae and my neck and some uh, joint, you know, back and, and other issues. Uh, but again, it, the carnivore does definitely help manage the pain from that. And, and so from an engineer to a nutritional guru, because I've seen what you share, it's quite amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of the, the need to know the science versus just to share the story? Yeah. So the thing about engineers, if, you, if, you, if anybody knows an engineer, they're, they're very much into research and keeping up on the latest. You know, I was doing uh, for, for parts of my career, I was working with Intel engineers in Haifa, Israel on the latest, you know, Intel computer chips, PC, CPUs. Uh, so, I mean, that kind of stuff, if you're not keeping up on the latest technology that's coming, six months, you're, you're out of date. You're, you're wow. behind, right? And so you, you had to build a sort of uh, habit of constantly researching um, and understanding new things coming down the pipe. And I think I just kind of held on to that kind of, you know, when I moved into this space. And so I would keep looking and researching and, and, and diving deeper into areas of nutrition and biology to understand it better. Um, and that's really what I've done the last, that's my, been my career the last 10 years. And uh, I helped, I got to where we co-authored uh, several books together. The, our keto book, I wrote a lot of the front matter and science. Our carnivore book, I wrote all the front matter and science for that one. So it's been an evolution. What's, what's been wrong with, with nutritional science in the past? And, and what are our challenges today that are preventing most people to open up to new ideas? Boy, uh, it might be easier to list what was right about the nutritional science. <laughs> I mean, there's so much that, uh, you know, in our book, keto, I, I remember I went over this section where I was like, you know, a lot of what we were told, if we did the opposite, you know, going back to like 70s and 80s kind of nutrition and health science, if we did the opposite, you'd probably be, be a lot better off as a nation and, and, and in general, you know, what, whether it's, you know, avoid fats, you know, healthy whole grains, uh, you know, all of these, even things like uh, avoid 100% any sun exposure kind of things, you know, not getting reasonable amounts of sun exposure for vitamin D. And I mean, you could just go down the line of all these issues that they just 
we're completely wrong on, <laughs> or at least partially wrong. Um, and if you just ignored that advice, you'd probably be better off. And, and so in sharing the science today, what is your, your thoughts on the thing that, is there something all of us should do or yeah. is it really unique and different from each and every one of us? I think there's some core fun fundamental aspects that everybody should do. Uh, one of them is get enough protein for your lean mass, for, you, for your body size. Uh, you know, everybody's a little different, right? Everybody, uh, protein goal, uh, if you will, for some uh, five foot tall, thin woman is going to be completely different than a 200 pound muscular man that has a lot more muscle to maintain. Um, and so it's, that's very individual. Um, but everybody I believe should get that minimum amount of protein every day. And that's because, you know, amino acids, you need amino acids to, you know, the, the, uh, uh, autophagy is happening all the time in your body. That's autophagy is the cellular rebuilding. It breaks down the cellular components and builds new cells. Um, the Nobel Prize winner for autophagy estimated that every four months you turn over all your protein cells in your body, which is just incredible. And, that, and that's just in general. That's without adding fasting or any of these other things, right, that can increase autophagy. Um, and so and then you're losing skin all day long, right? You're constantly shedding skin and you got to replace it. And, you know, all these things that you need amino acids in the diet to supply. Um, also, being... Uh, zero or low carb or low carb you need some glucose you do need some glucose for red blood cells that don't have mitochondria so you it can only run on glucose um some certain brain neurons like to only run on glucose so you need this little bit of glucose uh which the body can produce through gluconeogenesis turning mm -hmm. protein into glucose but i'd rather have it turn some dietary protein into glucose to supply the body's needs than taking from my own body and using that protein, right? So getting enough protein will also ensure that that you get enough to supply the glucose the body might need. Um, but that's the fundamental thing for me is uh, making sure you get enough protein uh, for your size. Because there's also, as you know, the most vitamins and minerals you're going to get are from the protein anyway, right? And, and for me, getting enough protein is, is fundamental for anyone. So when we talk about protein, what, what would be a good guesstimate or a good number for people to be able to easily calculate the amount of protein they should be consuming each day? Uh, if you want to talk a little more accurate, we, we're, we typically say like 0.8 to maybe 1 times your lean mass. Uh, so lean mass is just total weight minus body fat. Uh, so, for example, make the math easy, 150-pound person with 33% body fat, that's 100 pounds of lean mass. So you'd be looking at anywhere from 80 to 100 grams of protein for that person. Um, it depends a little bit on situation and condition and whether you're trying to build muscle or you're a bodybuilder, you know, then you can maybe go up a little more. Um, but generally speaking, uh, a rule of thumb that I use that's real easy for everybody to understand is for a woman at five foot tall, start with 80 to 90 grams of protein. And then for each inch above that, add five grams of protein. So if you're five foot four, you'd add 20 grams to that 80 or 90. So you're talking 100, 110 grams of protein would be your, what you want to kind of shoot for. For a man, start at 100 grams and then go up at five foot and then go up uh, five grams for every inch above that. 
And what's your thoughts on the amount of fat that we should be consuming and, and, and should we be consuming some carbohydrates? Um, I personally believe the carbohydrates are completely optional. You know, uh, the way we look at it as far as like keto and carnivore, um, if you're metabolically healthy, so you know, there's definitely certain situations where carnivore would be preferred and would be pr promoted more you know, autoimmune disorders, uh, bipolar, um, there's a, some of these uh, digestive issues and, and you know, uh, Crohn's and these type of uh, issues where uh, carnivore can really help. Um, outside of that, we look at keto and carnivore as basically a preference of do you want to have some plants or not? <laughs> you know, the principles for us are largely the same. Keep the carbs minimal, um, hit your protein goal, and then as far as fat goes, that's the only variable left, you know, if you do that. And so the fat is really the dial that you adjust based on your goals. If you want to lose some body fat, dial the fat in the diet down a little bit, which will force the body to burn its own stored fat for fuel. And if you want to maintain, you dial it back up a little bit. And if you want to even gain weight, which we've had clients that had Crohn's and were like 89 pounds and needed wow. to gain weight while they healed. You just dial the fat up even more, and then they gain weight while healing. So in a steady state, do you think there's a ratio of fat to protein? Or, again, I'm 5'6", uh, I'm, I'm 145, 150 pounds. I feel happy where I'm at. Do I, do I kind of keep it as even pedal, or do I move it one way or another on the dial? Yeah, so the, a lot of variables, right? I mean, how active you are, do you, are you st strength training? Are you doing, uh, uh, you know, what's, are you in maintenance or, or not? You know, so uh, somebody in maintenance, I, I would just kind of play it initially just by satiety, just, you know, eat, eat uh, make sure you're getting enough protein, but then just as long as you're keeping the carbs low, just eat to satiety. And if, if that keeps your weight stable, then great. Uh, if you're not stable at that weight or if you're still losing, add some more fat, whether it's, you know, some sauces, you know, one great way is add like some hollandaise sauce to your uh, eggs or your steak, you know, some bernays, you know, those kind of things uh, to up the fat a little more until you find that point where your body maintains. What's your thoughts on, on uh, uh, butter, cream, cheeses? Uh, is that something some people maybe should shy away from? Is it acceptable, do you think, for most of us? Uh, it really depends on the person, again. Uh, you know, um, we, we poo-poo gluten a lot as this big allergen and this big thing that's, you know, a problem for a lot of people, and it is. But there's more people that are sensitive to dairy than there are to gluten. And so there's a lot of people that are sensitive to it, whether they realize it or not. Um, and one of the ways you can really tell is if you eliminate it for a few weeks or a month, and then you add dairy back in, if you, if you retain like overnight, like two or three pounds of water, you're probably sensitive to dairy and your body's retaining water because it's having a reaction to it or, you know, breakout or any of the other common, you know, sensitive sensitivity, uh, reactions, uh, if you don't have that, it, it's totally fine. You know, dairy's great. I would definitely limit it if weight loss is the goal. And that's something we've seen time and time again over the 20 years of helping clients with this is if you cut 100% of dairy out, 
you see better weight loss. And it's, there's something about dairy. There's actually, uh, when you look at uh, something that is easy to overeat, right? It's just, you know, very palatable and, and just cheat or dairy and nuts are two of the things that just, it's easy to overdo. Like you grab a handful of nuts and uh, grab another handful and it's pretty soon you've, you've eaten you know, a ton of nuts. Same, same kind of thing with dairy, grabbing a piece of cheese or it's just easy to overeat. And, uh, you know, that's why cutting dairy nuts usually helps with weight loss. How do you know if you're getting enough protein? Is there something that'll tell you? I mean, the fat sounds like it's the thing if you want to gain weight or lose weight, yeah. you kind of dial it up or down. But what are the symptoms and the signs of, of people that aren't getting enough protein? Uh, one real common one is losing your hair. Um, hmm. We see this all kind. Of, I just answered a question on our website of a woman who uh, she was she tried to do the you know, the ratios eighty to eighty percent fat twenty or whatever it was, and when she got there, her protein had to be so low for her to uh, get that ratio that she started her hair started falling out terribly, and that's a very common sign of not getting enough protein is that your hair will start falling out. I mean, again, back to the body needs amino acids, not just the skin. Skin, skin, it can't really, you know, you think about priority of the body. Where am I gonna put my proteins when I'm, I've only got a little, right? Where am I gonna put those amino acids? Well, hair, who cares about that, right? <laughs> like that's, that's a pretty low priority. Skin, I wanna replace my skin. I don't want exposed skin, you know, and so it's gotta prioritize and hair is one of the first to get demoted, if you will for those amino acids. And so you'll see hair loss. And what do you think is the biggest challenge for people that want to get into the keto and or carnivore space uh, in the sense of uh, their eating habits? Uh, you know, there's, there's a few things. I mean, it depends on the person, but you know, social interactions can be a huge hurdle for people getting out in those, you know, get togethers and whatnot and the foods around and, Everybody's like, why don't you have some of this or, you know, this and that. Uh, I think all, I think day to day, it can be a real challenge for people um, with cravings and with, you know, just those foods. And that's, that's what Maria is great at is converting those kind of, you know, trigger foods or those craving foods into something healthier. So then you can kind of satisfy that craving and stay on track. You know, I think that's key, in, especially in the beginning, you know, you go out two months, six months, cravings are going to be so under control that, you know, it's not going to be a big issue. Uh, but that first couple of weeks, man, you better have some uh, keto keto treats on hand if you're a big sweet person and you're trying to convert over because the cravings are going to be there. And, and getting people to sort of shift from those cravings, what, what's the sort of the best advice? Uh, I would say we, you know, in the first few weeks, we use the keto treats and the, 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 the alternatives, you know, the healthier alternatives that, you know, homemade ones like Maria's keto fudge or she makes all these great recipes uh, as, a, as a crutch to get you through that transition phase. If, they, if sweets are really that big of an issue for you, a lot of people see uh, really good results if they just cut out all sweetness, right? Yeah. All sweet flavors. And that's why our cleanse book, a 30-day ketogenic cleanse, that was not only about converting to keto, but also 
our meal plans in there have zero sweeteners in them. And th that was the idea is that let's get you transitioned, get the cravings under control and cut out all that sweet flavor, shift your palate. So you're not constantly, you know, looking for that sweet taste and your palate can shift and adjust. And it will, if you cut it all out, like now, if I have, you know, something sweet taste, you know, to it, cause I rarely have anything uh, with stevia or something, it'll taste so sweet to me, you know, compared to where, you know, if I was having it every day, your, your palate really does adjust and that will help you long-term. Do, do you think that um, the, the substitute sugars uh, are more valuable to help people get up over those, those uh, sweet uh, cravings versus uh, the white uh, cane sugar honey? Yeah, I think they are. And again, we, we look at it as, you know, we'll provide this as an option. And if, if you're in a cravings and whatever state where your kid's candy is screaming your name yeah. and, and you know, the chocolate bar or whatever, and you have in the uh, fridge, one of Maria's chocolate, you know, fudge recipes, at least it's a better option, right? Like you're, yeah. you're getting the better option and staying on track won't set you back from, you know, converting to keto and all that adapting. Um, and so it's a better option. And the other thing we look at it is with our kids, right? Our kids eat this way. They uh, eat what we eat pretty much. And, you know, but they're still kids and they like to have some treats occasionally. And so we look at the, the uh, natural sweeteners as a way to give them, you know, treats and cakes for their birthday and these kind of things without all the sugar. What are your thoughts on fasting? Do you guys talk a lot about fasting? Do you promote it? Do you think that it's important? Yeah, uh, let's uh, break it into the different types of fasting. And there's Thank you. You know, uh, intermittent fasting, and there's extended fasting, like water only for multiple days. And then there's what we call protein sparing modified fast, which is basically emulating a water fast, but getting just some enough protein to maintain your, your lean mass. Uh, intermittent fasting to start with, I, I think it's beneficial to most people. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, a great tool for help limiting snacking and that mindless eating, you know, in the evening or whatever, if you shut down the kitchen at a certain time, it, it limits that. Uh, it comes naturally, I think, to most people that eat this way. You know, it's just three meals, it's like, eh, I cut one of the meals out. I'm just not that hungry. Let's just have two meals, you know, and, and I'm fine. So I think it comes real naturally this way too. Uh, personally, between a extended water fast and a protein sparing modified fast, I'm going to pick protein sparing modified fast because largely you're getting the same uh, energy uh, metabolism result in that you're getting very low energy into the diet in either case. But with protein sparing, you're getting protein, which is, gives you the vitamins and minerals, you know, the fat, uh, all of the uh, vitamins and minerals that come with protein. You're getting some amino acids to prevent any muscle loss. But again, you still need some glucose. So I, don't, I want it using the protein from my diet, not from my body to make that. Um, and so we just look at it as a better alternative. So what are your thoughts on one meal a day on a regular basis and and those that maybe do two or three day fasting with just water, do you think that's safe for most of us uh, or, 
or is it just, I mean, it's hard to do for most of us for sure, but is it dangerous do you think for us? Um, I would look at it this way with extended fasting. I do think you can do it too much. And I do think uh, it can be used too much in that let's, let's talk about, for example, insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is primarily uh, a disease of overstuffed fat cells, okay? You have something called a personal fat threshold. That is, uh, you, you, I, I, when I was young, I heard about this and I, and I never thought it would be influential later in my life. But when we're young, we make new fat cells. Most of us will make new fat cells as we're young. And we get to a certain age, we stop making new fat cells, okay? And when you stop making new fat cells, now you just fill or empty the ones you have, mm -hmm. right? And the issue with that is if you didn't make a lot of fat cells, either just genetically or environmentally when you were younger, you don't have a lot of fat cells to fill now, right? And what happens when you overstuff a fat cell? It starts rejecting insulin. And it says, I don't want any more fat in me because I'm too full. I'm going to burst. I can't take any more fat. It rejects insulin. That's insulin resistance. And if too many of your fat cells get stuffed and inflamed, you're insulin resistant, right? The fat has no place to go. And so it'll accumulate in your liver. It'll accumulate in your pancreas. And you're, you're full-blown diabetic metabolic syndrome. Um, that can happen if you're 110 pounds. And we see, we, we have had clients, one woman was 105 pounds, type 2 diabetic because she had so few fat cells, but they were all stuffed. And um, so from that perspective, what reverses insulin resistance? Shrinking the fat cells, okay? A, a water fast will do that. Mm -hmm. So will protein sparing modified fast, that'll help shrink your fat cells. It'll make your body burn its own fat. Uh, but you also wanna maintain muscle because what's that do? Gives glucose someplace to go, right? The more muscle you have, more place you have to shove glucose away, right? And as a diabetic, that's important. Um, water fast, you can lose, if you do it too much, you can lose lean mass. You can lose muscle, which will lower your BMR because muscle burns calories all day long. And it's not really helping you with insulin resistance because you're actually reducing the places for glucose to be stored. Um, so for us, we don't usually recommend water only fasting in general. Uh, one meal a day, that can be totally fine as long as you hit your protein goal. And that's one thing we have seen with women, especially. Women aren't able to eat as much protein in one sitting as men. And so they might not get their protein goal in that one meal. And over time, that could be an issue. Uh, but if, as long as you hit your protein goal, uh, one meal a day is fine. Any particular uh, protein that you recommend over another? Uh, as long as it's animal proteins or eggs. I, they're all pretty great uh, as far as, you know, nutrients, amino acids, you know, they're all pretty good. They all, you know, little bit variances. I mean, for sure, I think beef and ruminant animals are probably the tops as far as bioavailability of, of their nutrient, their vitamins and minerals that are in them and the completeness of their amino acid profile, I would say for sure. But I think all of them, you know, like pork is really high in potassium, like talk about a banana forget it. The pork is going to be even higher in potassium, you know? Uh, so each has, you know, seafood, oysters, these things can have DHA and omega-3s, you know, that are beneficial. So I think uh, they're all good in their different respects. 
Do you think the majority of people are coming to the space for health and wellness or weight loss? I would say initially 90 plus percent come to us looking for weight loss. But here's the interesting thing. I would say 90 plus percent that stick with this diet, stick with it because of the health benefits, because of how much better they feel, because they're off medications, you know, their symptoms for you name it, uh, disorder, disease, et cetera, is greatly reduced. And so that's why they stick with it. The weight loss is just like a bonus, you know, to how good they feel. Do, do you think that the history of keto was weight loss and you got to your goal and then you were kind of told, well, you could just go right back. And now the emphasis is on that keto is sustainable and, and the sort of the fear of that maybe has been removed. Plus people are getting more coaching than I think they've ever had before from people like yourself and Maria that inspires them to stay on the journey and that they feel so good with the weight loss and this nutritional change that they're inspired to keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a big component of it. You know, there wasn't as much support out there 20 years ago. I mean, nobody even knew the word keto 20 years ago, much less carnivore. Right. Right. Uh, You know, if you go way back in history, you know, you go back to eight, you know, 1910 when they were using uh, keto for seizure control, that -hmm. wasn't about weight loss. That was about health, right. Helping these kids with seizures. And then they just got fell off the map, you know, for ever. Uh, I would say Dr. Atkins had a lot right in his original work, not the stuff it evolved to later on with the processed food junk and the stuff they make, uh, I think are still on the shelves today. Uh, but his original book, his original ideas, I had a lot right. I would, I would say that some of his phases were later you added in carbs and all these things later on. Maybe I, I, I would disagree with that, but, um, I think that's the thing that has really changed is that there's so many tools, coaches, like you're saying, but also recipes and books and websites to support this lifestyle as a lifestyle, not just a quick fix diet. And then you go back to something you can literally translate. Maria has a recipe for literally (laughs) almost anything you can imagine just made with some different ingredients to be keto. And so I think it makes it a lot easier to make it a lifestyle then. Yeah, I, I knew Atkins way back when, and I and I used it, but I never knew keto with that. And you know, once yeah. before, and I learned keto from you and Maria, actually, uh, as as, and that really, you know, I went from Atkins, Paleo, and then keto Emmerich, and then from there it was carnivore, and uh, yeah. never never looking back. And there's such such yeah. uh, advantages, but I think. Tell me what your thoughts are on sort of the keto carnivore space. What have you found so valuable about it in general? Because I know you guys both uh, write a lot, you speak a lot, you share a lot, uh, blog much. And uh, tell us sort of what your general uh, sense is of, of this compared to maybe other weight loss and health and wellness nutritional ideas. You know, I'd have to go back to the health aspect again, you know, we get, you know, like I said, most people come, it's like, I want to lose 20 pounds or this or that. And then they realize, man, 
you know, I just, I'm the mental clarity I get all day. I never have any slump and energy in the afternoon and all of these aspects. It just, it, I think whether it's through our blog or our books and the comments and things we have coming back, it's, it's so amazing to me, the appreciation that people have for like, I never knew I could feel this good. Like, yeah. I, I feel like I'm a new person. Like that, that will forever be the most rewarding thing for me about this and this community and this space is that the people, the people just, it's like they, they have their life back, right? Like, and I think that is so incredible and I'm so blessed to be able to help people with that. Yeah, it seems to be such an upbeat, positive environment that I found yeah. myself in the in this keto carnivore space and nutritional health finally found the right the right target, the right, the right dialing in, the right channel that uh, I don't I don't know that there's any turning back from this. It, it this seems like it. Would you agree or do you think we're still searching for the well maybe there's something better? Um I I, yeah, I mean, I can't see anything else. I mean, from again, for myself, and and for what we look at it, and we talk with our clients, keto carnivore. It's like, and even to some extent, low carb. Like, you know, if, if you're an athlete, it's like elite athlete, like Zach Bitter. You know, below 100 grams of carbs is probably totally fine for you, uh, if that's your preference. But you probably don't need it either. Um, you know, so uh, it's about preference, but. I think that every single person in that spectrum will do better somewhere in that spectrum from carnivore to keto to maybe the, some parts of low carb, you're going to do better and you're going to be better off health wise. And, and it, 20 years of doing this and got, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of clients and people we've worked with. I've never seen anybody that didn't feel better eating this way. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it is miraculous. And again, in the, in the standard Western medical arena, along with the standard Western nutritional space, there's nothing that, that uh, shows up anywhere near this. I mean, keto, low carb, high fat, keto, carnivore concepts really uh, blow out of the water every other diet ever out there. I think they do. Definitely. Especially with compliance, which What's the number one uh, negative of any diet? Lack of compliance, right? People fall off the wagon because they're starving all the time because it's like, you know, counting points or whatever, and they're just starving all day long and they can't stick to it, right? And so I think that is, is the most powerful thing of this lifestyle. Yeah, you're so people feel better, they're more inspired, and they get really great tasting food and and you can't go wrong with that. Exactly. So, There's so, no other life for me. Yeah, there, there really isn't. So you grew up, um, like most of us, I suspect, a standard uh, Western eater. Um, did, did you suffer as a child in any other things? that You, you mentioned your, your limes and your, your other issues with uh, your neck and some pain. Did you have any problems as a child did, that you could look back at you didn't know about or you think, wow? Not really. You know, I was blessed to be pretty healthy all my life. And that's one of the reasons it took me like five years after Maria to come around is because I didn't really have any health issues. And, uh, you know, I had maybe 30 pounds of extra weight that I probably could have got, you know, I, I could have definitely gotten rid of at the time. Uh, and I did. 
but at the time it didn't bother me and you know i was i was fine with it but yeah no health issues all my life until this this lyme situation came up i think in some way we just some of these things just are sort of natural and normal whether it's headaches or belly aches or aches and pains yeah. or extra 10 20 30 pounds you know, it seems natural and normal. And that's maybe how we treat it in medicine. Well, this is natural and normal. Here's this and this and this. And you're just unlucky, I guess. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what led Maria down this path too, is, you know, she had all these issues and the, the, the doctor she saw at the time just said, here's three or four prescriptions. You're, those are the cards you're dealt. Nothing you can do about it. And yeah. genetics. And then she goes a week later, she, our dog was losing patches of its hair, take it into the vet. First question, what are you feeding her? The doctor never asked her that. Right. And, and then that was Maria's light bulb moment right there. But, uh, you know, I think diet and nutrition can fix so much of what ails us today. Um, it can either be the cause or the cure. And so I think, you know, focusing on that is definitely the, the biggest number one step for ever anyone. But I would say too, for myself, you know, one of the things we have to be careful of too in this community is it's, it's definitely not a cure all for everything, right? Like, you know, Lyme is a spiral keat. It's, you're gonna get hit bit by that, by that tick and it's gonna get in you and it's gonna cause problems for certain numbers of people. And your diet's gonna do nothing about that, right? Like. Uh, that's, you know, it's not a cure-all for everything, but it can be hugely beneficial for so many things. Well, if you think about uh, the microbes, the bacteria, yeast, viruses, tuberculosis killed a tremendous amount of people throughout, and they're still the same thing. Um, and, and so uh, keto carnivores, uh, we're all going to get, there's, there's going to be something that's going to kill us eventually. Yeah. And I'm not sure we have the data to say, well, if you're carnivore, you're going to live an extra 20 years. Uh, we haven't found that one yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and certainly maybe we're, we're reducing the symptoms from the, the most common diseases. But um, if you get stung by a bee or a wasp and you happen to have an, an allergy to it, or you're yeah. bitten by a particular uh, mite and, or, or tick, you know, those things can come upon us. and you, You're not necessarily going to stop it. It's possible yeah. maybe we'll reduce some of the side effects, but we don't know that. Yeah, and you know, I de it definitely reduces my inflammation. It, it it helps greatly with my pain, so I know it's helping for sure. But yeah, I mean, certain things you're just not going to be able to stop from happening, but you can definitely manage it, and this lifestyle definitely helps. What are your thoughts on the use of diet versus nutrition? And kind of, I, I hear you say it, and I know many of us say it. And uh, you think that there's a difference in what it is, or is it really just the difference how we perceive these words? Because diet is like, oh my God, they tell me to lose weight again, and it's a bunch of failure, it'll never work, it can't happen. Yeah, that's actually interesting. To, to me, diet is the foods you select to eat, right? That's your diet. And that, and like, for example, you know, we always get, you always get those naysayers or whatever, then say, you know, you cut out whole food groups with keto. How do you do that? Like grains and stuff. Uh, I, I would look back to them and say, okay, do you eat any organ meat? You don't, you cut out whole food groups. Like, you know, you're just selecting the thing, these things instead of these things, uh, you know, to me, it's all the same. It's just you, whatever pattern of eating or whatever preference of foods that you have in your, 
you're, you're eating, that's your diet. What inspired you to switch from keto to carnivore? What, was there someone, someone you were inspired by, a book? Um, you know, what was that thing that said, oh, maybe I'll try that? Look at this. That would be my wife. <laughs> she, uh, you know, she was, had all these improvements in her health and lost the extra weight and all that when she was doing all this to herself. Yeah. And then she would just, you know, make my food for me. And I'd, I'd still be working, you know, in an office for my engineering job. And she would pack my lunch for me. And uh, during the whole week, I would pretty much eat whatever she made. And then on the weekends, I would eat whatever I wanted. And I just started to realize, man, I feel really good during the week. And I feel like crap on the weekends. Uh, and, you know, it got to the point where I just decided I didn't want to feel like that anymore on the weekends. And I cut it out and uh, felt much better. Anyone else in the space that you uh, think uh, is really giving some home run information, inspiring people that you look look towards? Oh, there's a lot. I mean, it depends a little bit on category, right? Like Dave Feldman is doing amazing work on cholesterol and the whole lean mass hyper responder and what that means for this space. I think that's some very important work that he's doing. Uh, we support him, uh, and I encourage others to do it. Uh, he just closed up a study, the, the initial uh, screenings for the study that he's working on. So I think he's, he's a huge, uh, we're a big fan of his. Um, you know, there's others that uh, I, I definitely like. I'm a kind of an energy, energy metabolism guy. I really like, you know, how the body processes feels and, and how that works. And Dr. Ted Neiman is great on, on understanding energy metabolism and the science behind it. So, yeah, uh, I'm a fan of his. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously your work <laughs> with fertility and, and uh, I, I love my wife's work and the, the, the recipes she puts out for sure. Well, they're, they're spectacular. And, and, and you know that we've co collaborated on a, a fertility, uh, Keto for Fertility cookbook, which really people are loving immensely. And awesome. uh, I'm looking for us to do do more on that. And and it really is Maria that's inspired me on this journey more than anyone. Uh, so we're so grateful to her never-ending in energy that she's always, always yeah. there. What are your thoughts on on exercise? Do you think it's it's important? Can we overdo it? Do you think? And there's some particular areas. Do you think we should all focus on more than others? Um, yeah, so for weight loss, I would say weight loss is about 90% diet. Like you're not going to exercise your way out of a bad diet. Yeah. Um, it's just not going to happen. It, it, getting the diet right is the most important part for weight loss and in some ways for healing as well. Um, but <clears throat> I would say if you can, you know, add strength training, especially, I think it's really important. And, and strength training, because, you know, muscle is, is so important as we age, especially, uh, you get over 40, 50, 60 years old, and there's something called the leucine curve shift. Leucine is amino acid that's uh, primarily responsible for triggering muscle protein synthesis. It's kind of like a signaling molecule, if you will. If you get enough leucine in your diet, your body starts building muscle and maintaining muscle. Um, 
it shifts as we get older. And so as we get older, you need more and more leucine just to maintain your muscle and much less build it. And that's why so many people have sarcopenia when they get older because they're not getting enough protein. And what happens when you get older and you get sarcopenia and you're, you're not able to, you know, you, you break a hip when you fall or you're, you know, in a wheelchair, that's not quality of life. So I think uh, that's one of the most important things. So movement, um, some resistance work, yeah, um, and 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 the treadmill isn't you know just the run, run and run and run isn't necessary. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, you know, it's not doesn't hurt. You know, cardiovascular and and, and the breathing and all that uh, aspect is of that health is is great. And if you want to include some of it, but I wouldn't look at it as okay, I've got to run X amount to burn off this, whatever I ate kind of thing, you know, on the treadmill. Uh, you, and, and I do think you, you can definitely overdo it in a number of ways uh, with exercise. Uh, one of it, you know, we get clients a lot of times that will think, they won't think that 90% diet for weight loss. They'll think it's like, you know, 50-50. So they think they have to hit the gym so hard. And when they do that, you hit training or running and running and running, you just end up more hungry and you end up with more cravings and you end up eating more than if you just, you know, were moderate or on the exercise or did a little strength training instead. Anything particular that you've learned from your clients that you think has inspired you more than any? Oh, what's possible with yeah. diet? Like that is about 10 years ago, I started saving these testimonies we were getting from people. And I have this folder now in my email of, I don't know, 3,000 3, or something testimonies. And I can literally go in there and just type a condition and get five testimonies of people who, with that condition, you know, Parkinson's, saw huge improvements, you know, in their symptoms. Like, it's incredible. Like, it's incredible what is possible just with diet. You know, kids on the autism spectrum mm -hmm. who just with diet changes end up on a whole new level of the autism spectrum just by eating some different foods. Like it's, it's pretty incredible. Any particular books outside of the, the dietary nutritional space that you uh, think are important for us? Oh boy. Uh, that's an interesting one. I, haven't read a ton of books outside of the nutrition space lately <laughs> between uh homeschooling my boys and running our business and keeping up on nutrition science and the books we're writing it's, it's been tough uh how do how do you do that i don't know because you guys do remarkable in raising those beautiful children uh, the blogging the, the videos the the cooking the cookbooks um it must be a, a, a mighty grand journey that you guys are uh, so passionate to continue to share with people. Yeah, it's it's definitely the the passion to help people. I mean, that's a big part of it. You know, I, Maria shared the story on our webinar the other day with our clients. Uh, my birthday's on Christmas Day, and uh, I we don't you know can't really go out to eat or whatever. So uh, we usually a couple weeks later, we'll go out and do something. And so we went to a luau here on the island, and it was, I always enjoy the show and everything. And during one break in the music, I was on my phone 
answering somebody had asked me a question on on our facebook group and so tagged me so i was answering the question and Ray was like it's your birthday and we're at a luau and you're answering so but they need help you know yeah. they need help and they they want my help and i'm gonna do my best to help them you know and i think that's what drives us by far um you know our it, it takes a lot of organizing and a lot of hard work you know Maria's cooking all the time to supply food for everyone and the kids that i swear yeah. my boys eat a couple pounds of meat every day it's crazy the way they're growing mike has grown like six inches the last year um but you know it and we work together really well i think that's the key too is you know she has so many things that she's so good at i'm really good at the you know keeping the website working and dealing with you know, ebook, you know, formatting and all the technology stuff. And so we really complement each other really well. What's on the horizon for the next uh, book or a cookbook? Um, I think Maria is doing a little uh, uh, ebook on holidays, uh, which will be kind of fun. Just to kind of the, you know, celebrations book of get togethers and good foods to bring and, and, and have for, for holidays. I think that's the next one. Do you think there's a space for people to get to, and maybe some are better than others, that that really the holidays are meant to be from time to time, but not every day. Yeah. And so part of the problem with nutrition is that we take in those time-to-time -time holidays and make them every day. And so those things that we shouldn't eat but from time to time, we eat all the time. And that's the real cause of most disease rather than the that special thing to have, have two to five times a year. Yeah, definitely. Um, I like to tell the story of, you remember Little House on the Prairie? Remember that oh, show that was on for a long time? Uh, I remember one of the episodes where uh, it was Christmas and they each got a penny to go to the general store and get one piece of candy that for the that was their one piece of candy for the year right yeah. you know and and that's not that long ago and um you know we definitely have evolved into this place where it's constant and i remember a story too of a parent who there i can't remember what grade it was in the class like some elementary grade fifth grade or fourth grade or something and where the teachers celebrated their birthdays with like a big birthday party with like cupcakes and all the stuff and they had to do it for every kid, of course, right? And then when you do the math, the kids in the summer, they had to celebrate them too, so they you know, fit them in. And how many weeks there are in the school, they were doing a you know, cake party every week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so again, it's like you're saying, it's like, uh, it needs to be a special occasion. It's a treat, it's meant to be a treat. You know, that's, our boys are the same. We, you know, they'll have, you know, maybe a couple holidays of the year, like a Halloween and uh, their birthday, we'll have, you know, these sweet treats we'll make or cakes or whatever, but they largely don't eat that stuff in the rest of the year. And in our ancient environment, thousands of years ago, maybe millions of years ago, if you, you believe it, uh, we didn't have access to those things. No, I mean, you look back to the, uh, medieval days and the when they, they started you know sugar and stuff started coming out the kings kings got you know this big because 
they were indulging in that uh, too much. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, I mean, it's been a blip, you know, you go back, even our only go back 100, 150,000 years to our early ancestors, the Neanderthals and early humans, they had no, I mean, you might run into some fruit occasionally, you know, out there, uh, you know, like early humans and young, primarily in Europe, that's, that's a, you're going to be uh, snow most of the year or half of the year, I should say. Uh, and then you're going to be uh, primarily filling up on animals. You know, I saw a recent study about some of the elephants, the giant elephants. They were 150,000 year ago, tool marks on these giant elephant bones. And by the size of the bones, they calculated it could feed a tribe of 30 of these Neanderthals for a month on this one animal kill. So, I mean, the amount, these are apex carnivores. They're primarily eating animal proteins. And they might be opportunistic, you know, fruit here and there, but that's it. Well, I, I like watching nature shows and uh, polar bears are one of my favorites uh, because they spend a tremendous amount of time searching for food and not finding it and yeah. not getting their kill. And, um, and, and they go a tremendous amount of the season where they just can't find it very easily. And so my sense is that we likely went longer than we can imagine without food. And yeah. we don't know hunger, hunger truly for, for most of us. Our, our starvation isn't, you know, most of us were starving and we're mostly carrying excess weight. Yeah, I would say, you know, again, back in those days, 100,000 years ago, they, they put on probably a fair amount of weight in the summer just to get through the winter, right? Because, yeah. you know, what are you eating in the winter? There's zero plants available and animals are going to be tough you know, and to, to catch in the winter. So uh, there's going to be definitely leaner times in the winter. So they, they added fat in the summer by gorging. And, you know, when they had that huge kill, they were, they were feasting. So, yeah. And they got fat on fat. Yeah. Yeah, they had to, right? If they're apex carnivores, and, yeah. they had to put and, on and, fat in the summer. And we're getting fat on sugar. Yeah, today because we're sugar primarily displaces fat for oxidation, right? Yeah. Oxidative priority. So if you eat carbs and sugar, the fat that you're also eating will get stored as you're burning the carbs and sugar. So you're just dis displacing the fat to be burned by having the carbs. If you mm -hmm. cut the carbs out, now there's no displacement and you just burn the fat. Yeah. yeah. You feed your children this way. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on um, pregnant women, lactating, breastfeeding women, and uh, children that are done breastfeeding? So uh, as far as just diet, nutrition in general? Yeah. Do you, do you think yeah. that uh, the keto carnivore has an absolute place for that group? I definitely do. I mean, your work has shown it. Uh, but we've seen tons of clients outside of, you know, working with you that, you know, they'll talk about the best pregnancy they've ever had, you know, being, being keto or carnivore during it. Uh, you know, there's, we've got an anecdotal evidence of basically golden milk, it's called, where you have uh, breast milk that's so rich and fatty from eating this way that it, the, the baby drinks a lot less, you know, because it's getting so much nutrient dense. 
uh, you know, from that. And they sleep better during the night as a result, you know, and those kind of anecdotal things that we see with clients. But um, yeah, I think it's great for all stages of fertility, like you're doing, as well as through pregnancy and breastfeeding. One of the things that um, we see in, in our current uh, evidence-based medicine is that the majority of what we're learning today is actually from social media and individual experiences of success. Do you think in some way that we really need to have some randomized study to prove it or is the proof in the individuals? Well, I would say for the N equals one, so for me, yeah. I don't really, the only thing that matters is how I feel and how, how it works for me, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I've worked, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we, we worked a bit with uh, Dr. Uh, oh, I just forgot his name for some reason. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, well, th we've been working a lot on just these, the, because we have these thousands of examples of you know, clients with amazing results, Dr. Westman, I don't know why that totally, Dr. Eric Westman has been trying to put more of these kind of N equals one things out there because yeah. of that reason, right? Because it's so hard to get millions of dollars to do a randomized controlled trial on, on things. And, and uh, we have so much evidence of N equals one, N equals many that show incredible potential. He's been working hard on getting some papers out there in the literature so that others can see it and say, "Ooh, this is interesting. You know, they had some pretty amazing results here. One of the recent ones he did was in conjunction with Dr. Georgia Ede, looking at, I think it was 20 patients that were resistant to the, uh, they had uh, psych, uh, uh, psycho, uh, the, the mental issues that they had, uh, the drugs were resistant to it, okay? And then they, so that these people don't have a lot of options, right? Because they've tried all the drugs and nothing's really working. Every single one of them saw a significant decrease in symptoms with a keto carnivore diet, right? And then they, they posted this in a study of these 20, this case study of these 20 patients. Uh, schizophrenia, I think, was uh, primarily the, the issue. But, you know, that kind of stuff, I think, is really important. Uh, and like you said, it, you know, I don't care about... 50 studies saying, you know, this isn't going to work for you if it actually works for me, right? Yeah, <laughs> if it actually yeah. works for me and makes me feel better and I get off my medications and all my health markers get better, I don't really care what the study says. Well, and since, uh, let's see, you do a study and you submit it to be published and it's either accepted or rejected, and it's often accepted or rejected based on the belief system of the, of the publication and what their mission of selling an idea really is, so as hard as we may push, the best way to share this is actually through social media, um, yeah, which and is growing. In, I, I recently saw a study that looked at studies and, and saw that as much as 45% of them were basically completely biased because of who funded the study and they were looking for a certain result. You know, like Kellogg's funds a study and obviously bias and they, up to 45% of all studies had this level of bias built into them. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a problem for sure. I suspect it's much higher than that. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it, it has to be in, in I think, in medicine. And, but the, the standard from, for us physicians was, well, if there isn't paper written about that, then I'm not going to believe it. And there is a tendency for us in medicine and science, we be, we're very disbelieving of yeah. other scientists and other ideas that are opposite rather than being curious and inquisitive of the possibilities that there's something opposite of what we're, we know today. Yeah, I was later, towards the end of my career, I was a, a product manager for uh, healthcare informatics type systems, as well as uh, imaging software for uh, like scanning, uh, like CT scans, PET scans, those kind of things. Um, and yeah, I mean, the amount of, healthcare moves at a glacial pace when it comes to change. It's like you have to have a mountain of evidence and all of this stuff before, you know, the standards kind of finally shift as far as, you know, all, what all of the doctors are going to do in that direction. Uh, and I think that's a big problem. I mean, technology, especially with technology these days and how fast things move and change. I think that glacial speed in healthcare can really be detrimental. And if you look at humanity, there's really, I don't think there's anything we all agree on. Yeah. As humans, right? So yeah. so there's always the the opposite. And no matter what you believe, I'm gonna believe something different. And I don't care what you say. And so the the beauty is to be open. Um and, and ask a, a question on on vegan vegetarians, Mediterraneans in 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 finding a keto solution. Do you agree that there's some keto solution for everyone? Uh, I I think you can definitely, you know, are you saying like make a keto vegetarian version or something well, like that? Well, certainly for vegetarians, I think there's a space because eggs, cream, butter for yeah. that group. The vegan is harder, but with, yeah. with, with, with coconut oil and fasting and, and, well, and I, I don't know where you get your complete protein. Well, that's the problem vegan. I have with vegan. Right? I don't think you can get enough complete protein to maintain, maintain muscle as you age. I just don't yeah. think it's possible. So there's always a need for a supplement, but can yeah. you supplement your amino acids? Meaning that well, it may not be as, as nutritionally uh, available. Well, that too is, yeah. I mean, vitamins and minerals are going to be an issue because animal proteins are one of the most nutrient dense foods, but yeah. also the amino acid profile, you're probably going to be doing something like a pea protein powder at that point. Cause you just can't eat enough peas to get enough protein. And then the pea protein powder, it's the, the, the PCDAA score, the, the, the you know, di protein digestibility score. You'd have to compare it to like egg white protein. You have to eat. It's like 40% as complete of a protein. So you're going to have to eat more than double of the pea protein powder just to get the same amount as egg white protein powder. And I mean, it's just, yeah, there's no, there's no real good complete proteins in the vegan space. Well, I, I always thought protein comes from muscles. Yeah. Essentially. Is that, is that what we pretty much thought? So can there really be protein in peas? <laughs> it either is, it's just not the same amino acid profile as going to be in your muscles. Right. And that's the problem. And, and so the, the best approach for keto is, and I'm going to use the Mediterranean, meaning that 
that you can find something in the Mediterranean sort of concept to pick and choose and find a keto way of living. Yeah, I mean, uh, I recently saw an article, I think it was Mark Sisson did another article on this, that it was, if you look at the real Mediterranean diet, like the real ancestral Mediterranean diet, it looks nothing like a vegetarian diet. It looks nothing yeah. like what people would say is Mediterranean diet now. They ate a lot more seafood, fish, protein. So, uh, you know, there's that whole bias as well. Like there's a study that talked about the blue zones and how the blue zones, if you look at every one of these blue zones, they had really poor, they're small towns, small places that had really poor birth records a hundred years ago. And so all these cent centenarians really may not be centenarians. And if you actually look through uh, if you adjust it as, the people you know get older and they have good birth records suddenly their ages average age comes back more in line with other cultures so it's really just kind of a, a poor birth record situation in a lot of these places that uh is causing some of these blue zones to be high we're storytellers yeah totally right? and, and we love stories and that's and that's uh, the most important thing is there anything that i may not have asked and something that you really wanted to make sure that people heard um uh, nothing that i can i mean we covered a lot i mean maybe uh about our kids a little more like you know we touched oh, on it here and there uh you know our first our sons came we we adopted them from ethiopia when they were one and two and they came here at like two percent three percent on the height and weight charts because the nutrition in ethiopia wasn't great at the orphanage um and we started feeding them what we ate you know, our first solid foods for our son, Kai, was bone marrow and egg yolks and maybe some salmon, you know, crumbled up real small so he could just eat it with his hands and melt in his mouth, uh, hamburger, that kind of stuff. And uh, he, uh, both of them shot to within one year to 50% on the height and weight charts. And after two years, they're at 75% on the height and weight charts and they stayed there. And these are kids that, I mean, they're for sure low carb, if not keto level of carbs, because they don't really have a sweet tooth and they just eat what we eat and they're thriving. Like I said, my, my son, Mike has grown like six inches this past year and he's wow. 13 years old and he's in uh, high school algebra two. He's just smart as a whip, you know? Uh, and if you go back to, again, those baby foods, I, one of the things I'm passionate about that drives me nuts is we go from breast milk, which everybody would say is best, best food for a baby, right? It's high in saturated fat. It's high in cholesterol. It's got a decent amount of protein. Um, and what do we switch them to? Go to the store and look at baby foods. It's, it's basically a vegetarian, so no fat, very low to no protein food. Mm -hmm. it, you know, these uh, puffs and these, uh, yeah, all carbs and sugar, like pea pea purees and carrot purees and all this crap. And it's like, what are we doing? <laughs> like these kids need uh, their brain is the biggest source of cholesterol in the body. Uh, you need healthy fats. You need amino acids to help these kids grow and thrive. And it's that that's a big passion of ours. We wrote our sugar free kids book not too long ago for that reason. Well, there's. Um... American Journal of OBGYN came out with a, uh, an uh, expert's review of nutrition for pregnant and breastfeeding moms. 
and Mediterranean diet was number one, and red wine was within that diet for pregnant and breastfeeding moms. So, and, and then they went down to vegan vegetarians. They poo-pooed um, Atkins, uh, paleo, and keto, and didn't even touch carnivore, unfortunately. But the the complete disregard for the true science of the human body is yeah. shameful to me in my profession. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so um, passionate about uh, joining with you and Maria and others in how to help um, all of us uh, lead healthy, vibrant, and energetic lives. And uh, I know as a student, as a child, I had dyslexia, ADHD, OCD. Uh, I also had the migraines and bowel problems, but I was highly disruptive and I couldn't read and I couldn't participate in school. Um, so consequently, I, I had troubles, but thankfully I evolved out them and you're helping yeah. that everyone evolve into a more, more vibrant and exciting, uh, joyful life and enjoying food through uh, Maria and your cooking and uh, your your books. And so once again, thank you so much, Craig, for being here t tonight. I appreciate it and enjoying for you in the afternoon in Hawaii. Um, a quick to everyone, where can we all find you? And we're going to put links to all of this for sure. Well, thank you very much, Robert. I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, generally, you can just call, go to ketomaria.com. I, I made that page to get to everything else. Like yeah. it's one page, you get to our blog from there, our website for uh, eBooks and support and all that. And the bottom is links to all of our social media accounts. So ketomaria.com, you can get to everything. Keto Maria, we're gonna make sure that everyone gets there and uh, uh, enjoy the rest of the uh, afternoon with your family. And again, uh, we look forward to seeing you guys very soon and some meet up, I'm sure, but uh, certainly yeah. continue to follow you guys online. So thank you so much. Thank you again. All right, go. Wait, so what's the plan for the rest of the evening? Uh, right now, uh, probably going to go eat some dinner. It's probably okay. going to be uh, probably I love a few burgers with, you know, bunless burgers. They're one of my favorite dinners. So yeah. uh, looking forward to that. Maybe I love my What's the best local meat you get there? Uh, Maui Cattle Company is great. They have a, it's all grass fed. It's on island here. Uh, you can see them up in the, you know, on the, on the volcano, on the hills, the cattle. And there's a, what's really cool is you can go to their uh, processing plant here on the island. You can call ahead and say, I want, you know, they make uh, these five pound bags of hamburger. You can say, I want, you know, five bags of hamburger. I want 20 fillets and you get them cheaper than in the store. It's awesome. So local is one of those things that's so important for people to search out. And I know Maria loves to hunt. Uh, and and yeah. so finding something local is really important to sustainability and in our future. Absolutely. And actually, we're considering doing a hunt here. There's a axis deer and it's become actually a nuisance species now because they've got populations gotten so big and it's really good and really tasty uh, venison. So we're going to maybe hunt one of those before we head back and stock the freezer. Are there any other predators on Hawaii other than humans and cars? On the, yeah, on the island? No, no, not really. So that's part of the problem is that yeah. the axis deer are getting overpopulated and a lot. There's so much private land that it's hard to uh, hunt them. You got to get yeah. permission, but yeah, they're getting, getting to be a nuisance. Well, again, thank you so much, Craig. I look forward to sharing with you again soon. And anything I can do, you let me know, please. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. 
All right. God bless. I'll see you later. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Carnivore Conversations hosted by me, Dr. Robert Kiltz. And don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Check out drkiltz.com for more and subscribe to our Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Facebook for more inspiring content every day. Take care and see you next time.